0: hey listen as most of you guys know today is uh day 14 of our 21 days of prayer and fasting uh if you are participating with us in any way i just want to say a big thank you guys Uh, You know, I can assure you that in spite of what you may or may not be feeling as you are fasting and praying, that your prayers are certainly making a difference. Amen? So uh, I just want to encourage you with that. Just stay focused, keep pressing in, and uh, let's see what Jesus does. And also, if you're tracking with us uh, through the book of John, I just hope you're enjoying that journey as much as I am. And, uh, you know, just keep at it. Amen? So let's pray, and uh, we'll dive in. Father, thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here Father, I thank you for hunger, I thank you for anticipation, I thank you for a desire, God, to hear from you today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would fill this place with your anointing, that you would fill this place with your presence, and Father, we give you full permission to challenge us, to stir us, to change us, God, however you see fit. So, Lord, we choose, once again, to open up our hearts, and we choose to have a yes in our heart to whatever you want to say and whatever you want to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, as I've been praying and thinking about uh, how you know, next Sunday is Easter and, and how we will all be gathering to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, like while I was doing that, God actually reminded me of a time when my grandparents decided to host a family reunion of sorts at their house uh, at that time, I was probably somewhere around, I don't know, 8 to 10 years old, so I was a little fella, and, uh, but anyways, when that day arrived, I, I can still remember all the relatives uh, you know, coming in from all over the state, you know, some I knew, some I didn't know, uh, but, but everyone that seems like they invited showed up about 9 o'clock in the morning, and, and they came bearing gifts, and what I mean by that, they came with loads of southern home-cooked food in hand, amen? So, so you know when they had that, the anointing and the glory was there, right? Yes. <laughs> jesus anoints fried chicken amen listen because my grandparents didn't have some big house uh the place was absolutely packed like there was people inside there was people on the porch there was people standing in the yard in fact there were so many people there that we had to eat outside under a carport where my grandparents had set up extra chairs and and extra tables because once again everyone couldn't fit in the house Uh, But anyways, to this day, I can still vividly remember, I can vividly see my grandfather still cooking barbecue chicken on the grill with a handful of guys around him. I can still see my family talking and laughing as people are telling stories, kind of getting caught up. You know how it goes. And uh, so, listen, and even though I was a little kid running around with a bunch of other little kids, you know, getting into stuff, uh, on that day, I can still remember looking at at my grandparents' faces and just knowing this, man, today must be special, right? Right? So, so listen, as fond as I am of that memory, uh, I honestly believe God reminded me of that for a reason. In fact, uh, I, I think this. I think that the reason he reminded me of that is because there was a few things that my grandparents had to do in preparations for that gathering. And, and it was these things. Number one, they had to invite the, the people to come. Like they had to invite the people to come, right? Like how would they know unless they were invited? The second thing is is my grandparents had to make more room at the table in other words, they had to expand beyond what they were used to. They had to put more tables, more chairs, more placemats, more cups, more silverware, and so forth to host everyone. And, and last but not least, I still remember because we're Southern people. Uh, once again, they they had to welcome everyone as they as they arrived, right? In other words, they greeted them with joy and they told them that they were glad that they were there. Why? Because we were family, so we valued one another. You know, as I thought about all of this, the the Lord reminded me actually of a parable that. And a lot of light ways goes with that. And, and here's where uh, where it's found. At. It's found in Luke chapter 14. And I want to read it to you and, and we'll get rolling here. It says this, verse 15. It says, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. I love that. Jesus replied with this story. He said, a man, talking about the Father, right, prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. Somebody say Invitations. Says when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, "Come, the banquet is ready." But they all began making excuses. One said, "I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me." Another said, "I've just bought five pair of boxing and I want to try them out. Please excuse me." Another said, "I just got married." so I can't come. In other words, what these people are saying is this, is that I know I accepted your first invitation, but something better and something more important to me has come along, and guess what? Now I'm not showing up. I can't make it. And then it says in verse 21, it says, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and he said this. He said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In other words, because this master was so uh, generous and so gracious, he decided to extend right his invitation far and wide. Then it says in verse 22, it says, after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. Somebody say, there's still room for more. more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so so that my house will be full. I love that portion of scripture. I want to point out three really things uh, three things really quick. The first one is this is just theologically we know this parable deals with the Israelites rejecting Jesus as their Messiah which allowed you and I as Gentiles to be grafted into the family of God. Now, obviously, this is easily seen because the original guests, which represented the Jews, they ultimately rejected the master's invitation, while the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, which represents the Gentiles uh, who gladly accepted the invitation to come. See, that's why the Bible says in John chapter 1, it says this. It says, He, Jesus, came to His own people, that's the Jews, and even they rejected Him. But to all, that's us, who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. So another significant piece I want us to see is this, and, and this is going to help us here. I want us to see that there's also a prophetic or a future piece to this parable. See, at the core we know that this passage also speaks in accordance with Matthew chapter 22 about the marriage supper of the Lamb that will take place once Jesus returns. In other words, when we all go up to heaven, we get to have a party. But watch this, but in the meantime, and this is what I want to bank on here, in the meantime, while we are building up to that moment, up to Jesus' return, we can never forget that the proceedings surrounding this banquet are already in process. Meaning this, if we realize it or not, as we speak, God is sending out invitations all around the world for people to join in, what, the banquet, right? Which also includes, all that around the world also includes Midcoast, Maine. Right, And that's where you and that's where I come into this picture. It's where we come in, right? Listen, because we know this is true, as a staff, we've been working really hard, like my grandparents in that story I shared a while ago, just to make more room at the table. Right? This is why we created, you know, once again, invite cards. This is why we added another service. This is why we put more chairs out. This is why we've been fasting and praying. It's because we still believe that God wants more people to be saved. He still wants more people in his family. He still wants more people at the marriage supper of the Lamb. All right. So listen, with all that said, uh, if, if you consider this your home church, in other words, if you say Anchor Church is my church, right? It's my church, then we're going to ask you to do three things The first thing we're going to ask you to do is simply this. We're going to ask you to earnestly pray. Now, when I say earnestly pray, I mean like you pray like somebody's life depends on it because it does. Amen. Pray like you want your son, your daughter to get touched from heaven. Pray that you need a miracle. Pray like that. Amen. And listen, as you pray, I want us to pray according to Luke chapter 13. It says this, Jesus talking. He said, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. What are we saying? We're saying that when we pray, let's believe God's going to draw people from every town and every village in this area, right? That he's going to draw people from the islands, right? From Hope, from Camden, from, uh, you know, once again, Rockport, right? From uh, Thomaston, go whatever, fill it in, right? That he's going to draw people from all over the place and bring them here. Can y'all believe for that? The second thing we want to ask you to do is simply this, is to invite Someone. That's so why we gave you this, right? So, so listen, every invite card represents more than just seat at a table. It represents a person, a soul that Jesus loves. It represents a person who's created in the image of God, a person that God has a plan and a purpose for their lives, right? And so listen, by giving you this card, we are acknowledging that one of the top reasons that people come to a church is because a friend invited them. Not because we send out some mass letter or whatever. It's a friend that gets people in the door. Amen. So the third thing we want to ask you to do is simply this, is that we want you, when you show up here next Sunday, is to welcome everyone. Let, like, like, let me give it to you like this. How many times have you invited someone over to your house to come to a feast and then you ignored them after they walked in the door? But that's the way church functions so often. Right? And so what I'm trying to tell you is this, is let's intentionally go out of our out of our way. once again, if we know them or if we don't, and let's actually demonstrate, it. let's show the love of God to every person who walks through those doors. I believe it makes a difference. Amen. So listen, on that note, if by chance, because we are doing three services, and they are bam, bam, bam next week, uh, if by chance there's a traffic jam in the parking lot, if by chance your favorite seat, someone else sits in it. If by chance it takes a little bit longer to check your kids in the normal, uh, I'm gonna ask you to do us a favor and let's not get frustrated. Right? Like, like don't cuss somebody out in the parking lot and then come praise Jesus inside. Right? Like, like, don't be that guy, right? Anyways, listen, instead instead of getting frustrated, let's choose to praise God for it. Growth is a great problem, amen? So, because it means, why? More people at their table, more people, uh, you know, that have a chance and opportunity to encounter God, amen? So, can you just believe with me that God's going to do some incredible things next week? Like, can we believe that people are going to come in one way and leave another? Life change, amen? That's what we're believing. Can I get a good hearty amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's shift gears. (laughs) I love it. All right, so considering the fact that you and I are smack dab in the middle of a 21 days of prayer and fasting, I actually want to turn our full attention this morning to the inexhaustible subject of prayer. Because if we remember, like we said two weeks ago, fasting isn't fasting unless it involves prayer. Like if you fast and don't pray, you're just starving yourself, right? So, so listen, my singular hope for the rest of this message is that it'll, it'll hopefully just encourage you to catch a greater vision concerning the power and the necessity of prayer. That's it. The power and the necessity of prayer. And I want to hopefully do this by uh, just unpacking four simple ideas that I have concerning this topic. So the first area we're going to talk about is this. Is number one, we're going to talk about the secret of prayer. Somebody say the secret of prayer. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, have you ever sat back and just marveled as someone has prayed? Like, wow. Right? Like in that moment, did you ever wonder man, is it possible that they know a secret that I don't know when it comes to prayer you, you know I listen if you've been there I, I can say look I have definitely been there especially when I was a younger believer but 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 over the years I've come to learn that the number one secret to prayer is really found in Luke chapter 11 verse 1 in fact the, the secret has been right there in front of us for all these years and we just skim over it we don't understand or we don't see that man there's the there's the secret right there so we're going to look at it today. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Somebody say, to pray. To pray. Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Come on, I want us to notice that the disciple didn't say, Lord, teach us how to pray. Rather, he said, teach us to pray. Now listen, I recognize that this might be elementary to a whole bunch of y'all in this room, but if you want to know the secret of prayer, it's simply this, that we pray. That's the secret of prayer. Listen, as straightforward as that, that the secret of prayer is that we would actually take the time from our busy schedules and we would begin to pray and have fellowship with the Father. Just so I'm not being misunderstood here, when I say to pray this morning, I'm not referring to a a daily repetition of phrases that have, by sheer ritual, become practically meaningless to us over time. Like, you've done that, I've done that. Go through our little thing. We're washing our hair. We're driving down the road. We say something, and it really doesn't mean anything to us anymore right? Like so much so that while we are mindlessly uttering those words for whatever the thousandth time, guess what? That our thoughts are wandering from here to there, right? We're praying, but we're thinking about groceries, we're thinking about kids, we're thinking, you've done it, I've done it, right? So I'm not talking about checking some religious box this morning. Rather, I'm talking about praying from the heart. I'm talking about connecting with a living God. I'm talking about the joy of fellowship. I'm talking about the moment when you come before the Father and you pour your heart out before Him in a real authentic and real, once again, way because that's what He desires. Now, listen, this might be strong, but in my experience, when we start talking about praying with passion and we start talking about praying with fervor from the heart, that's when folks get uncomfortable. And that's when all of the excuses begin to fly. It's true. Look, I, I don't want to offend anybody this morning, but, but uh, here's how the old song and dance goes. I've been doing this a long time. I've had loads of conversations with people. But here's how it normally goes. I've heard people for years say things like this. Well, I, I feel like God is sovereign, so I don't think my prayers can really make a difference anyways. So why should I pray? If he knows it already, why should I pray? The, the, the ignorant part about that statement is this, is if that was true, that he would have never told us to pray, right? So don't overcomplicate it, right? So I've heard people say this, you know, well, God has too much on his plate to be bothering my little old request. I've heard that so many times, right? And I've heard people say, well, I'd like to pray, but I feel unworthy to talk with God. And I've heard people say this, well, you know, I would pray, but, but to be honest with you, it's pretty boring. I appreciate that honesty. Listen, Those people say, I feel like I'm kind of talking to a wall. And then there's people that say this, well, I wish I could pray, but I just don't have enough time. Y'all with me today? See, the reality is on that one is we all make time for what matters. Right? So, so that's garbage. Right? So listen, and then there's this last one that I've heard uh, most over the years. And, it's, and this is the one I really want to uh, launch from today is this. Is people say, I don't know how to pray. I would pray, but I just don't know how to pray. And I can, and I can sympathize with that. I can. But, but I want to say this uh, concerning that. Let me give you a quick quote from Thomas Edison. Just kind of put that statement in perspective. Here's what he said way back in 1921. And I understand, you know, 101 years, a lot of things have changed. But, but the truth that's in the statement still stands. Here's what he said. He said, we don't know the millionth part of 1% about anything. We don't know what water is. We don't know what light is. We don't know what gravitation is. We don't know what enables us to keep our feet when we stand up. We don't know what electricity is. We don't know what heat is. We don't know anything about magnetism. We have a lot of hypotheses, right, about these things, but that is all. Watch this. But we do not let our ignorance about all these things deprive us of their use. So listen, today we can say we don't know a whole lot about prayer, but that's no excuse. Amen? Listen, in light of those words, let's get honest today. Many Christians simply don't pray because they don't want to pray. Like, let's be honest, right? But unfortunately, it's easier for us to make up some excuse to ourselves and to others uh, than it is to admit that sole truth. Jesus, I don't want to talk to you, plain and simple. Smile at it, y'all. It ain't that bad. See, the bottom line is this, is that there's no way. When we talk about, well, I don't know how to pray. Listen, there's no way to learn to pray but by praying. There's no way to learn to pray or how to pray but by praying. In other words, guys, there's never been a ritual or format or formula or five steps to this or that that has taught a man, woman, or child how to really pray. And the reason is, is if we realize or not, genuine prayer must first flow from the heart and secondly through the brain. It's got to come from here. Listen, while our natural minds may have the ability to construct sentences and we can articulate, you know, polished religious sounding words, if the heart isn't the motivating factor of pushing those words towards heaven, then we're no better than a Pharisee who prays in vain. Let me give you proof of that. It's found in Luke chapter 18, and I realized when Jesus taught this parable, he was teaching this point, but I'm going to try to teach on this point from it. Make it really simple. In this chapter, we see a Pharisee, albeit in his arrogance, praying a fancy, a religious, polished prayer. And in contrast, we see this tax collector in his humility praying from the heart. He prayed a heartfelt prayer as he simply cried out this. He said, God, give mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. Period. Listen, to these two people, polished guy. Heart guy, Jesus made it really clear. God heard one of them, and it wasn't the arrogant fellow. It was the fellow that prayed from his heart. Because why? Because with Jesus, it always comes to the heart. Amen? You, you see, I think that when a heart, if we have a heart that yearns for God, then we will readily get rid of the excuses. Like, if we really long for God, all that stuff just gets blown out the water. Right? Because why? Because we know that not only in our weakness is His power made perfect, but we also realize that in our weakness, in our inabilities, in our don't know how, that the Holy Spirit if we connect with Him from the heart, that He'll make up the difference. Amen. Listen to what Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 concerning this. He said this. He said in the same way that the Spirit comes to us and helps us in our weakness. He says we don't know what prayer to offer. Like we've been there, Right? We don't know what prayer to offer, how to offer it, as we should. But the Spirit himself knows our needs and at the right time intercedes on our behalf. Aren't you thankful for that? I believe that happens in the Spirit, and I believe it happens in the understanding as well. Amen? Listen, it's because of this different, the late Samuel uh, Chadwicker write this. I love this. He said, our Methodist fathers were mighty in prayer. They saved England by prayer. They shook the gates of hell by prayer. They opened the windows of heaven by prayer. How did they learn to pray? They learned to pray by being much in prayer. They did not talk about prayer. They prayed. They did not argue about prayer. They prayed. And I would love to add to that, because they prayed and didn't give up, they saw the change that they desired to see. Amen? So, quick takeaway as we prepare to move to our second point. I simply want to repeat the secret to prayer is that we learn to pray from our heart. That's it. Pray from your heart. You know who can do that? Even a child. Amen? Because listen, because when we have a heart that yearns for God, once again, we throw off all those fleshly excuses that hinder us from approaching the throne of grace. Second area I want we'll to talk about today is this. And this is a quick one. Number two is the basis or the foundation of our prayer. The basis or the foundation of our prayer. On this, a couple of days ago, I was actually reading a story about a person who was, who was traveling. And while he was traveling, he actually visited a temple in China. Now, on the day that he showed up to this particular temple, it was actually a day where they were uh, having a big festival. So there was loads of people there. So there was a lot of these Chinese people there, and they were in the temple, and they were worshiping uh, this particular idol that was enclosed in this uh, sacred shrine, if you can kind of picture that. So as the traveler sat back and he observed these people's worship, he noticed that most of the worshipers brought a uh, small sheet of paper with them, and on the piece of paper, the worshipers had written out their prayers. Now, what made this so strange was this, is that each piece of paper was wrapped in like little, uh, what, what the article said was basically like stiff balls of mud, right? So they would like poke it in the middle, put mud all around it, and then they would throw it at the idol, Right? Kind of awkward. Right? So, listen, after watching for a bit, the traveler asked, kind of somebody aside, he said, hey, well, what's the meaning of this really unique thing that these people are doing? And he was told this, that, that they believed that if the mud stuck to the idol, then their prayer would surely be answered. But if the mud hit and it fell off, then it meant that their prayer was rejected by their God. Hope you got a good arm. Right? <laughs> Listen, I don't know about you, but, but when I first read that, I, I kind of thought to myself, man, boy, that's just pretty awkward, right? Like, that's a, that's a weird way of testing if your prayer has been accepted or not. Would you all agree? Like, that's just odd, right? And, you know, I, I think the thing stood out, talking about a lack of confidence in what you pray. Uh, but the more I thought about it, I had to admit that there have been times in my life where I've been just as uncertain, uncertain if my prayers are going to be answered or not. And I got a strange suspicion that I'm not the only person in this room who's ever felt that way. Amen? But, But listen, over the years I've come to learn, and this is so simple, but I've learned that the basis and the foundation of all of our prayers really boils down to two biblical truths. The first one is this. It's a real simple one that you and I hear, we accept, but we have a hard time believing. And it's this, is that God loves me. He loves me. What's the basis of my prayer, right, that I have confidence in it? It's because He loves me. Right? Listen to John 16. It says, in that day, you will ask him my name. And I am not saying to you that I will ask the father on your behalf because it will be unnecessary. Verse 27 says, for the father himself, I can say already tenderly loves you. He already loves you. Can we believe that today? Like he loves us, right? And because, why? Because we love Jesus. We believe to him basically that, that we can come to the Father and we can pray. So, so we can have confidence that when we pray that God's going to answer us. Why? Because he's not angry at us. He's not distant. He's not mad at us. He's not waiting to hit us with lightning. He just loves us. I hope you believe that more in your heart than what your face is showing right now. Amen. The second reason is this is because God always stands by his word. Like, why can I have confidence? What's the basis? What's the foundation of my prayer? Yes, that he loves me, but God also stands by his word. See, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, it says this this is the what? The confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, according to his word, according to his plan, according to his purpose, that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever, can somebody say whatever? Whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Amen. So if I could sum this point up quickly. It's like we don't ever have to approach God like we're throwing some, you know, mud prayers. Right? Hoping that it sticks, right? Instead, you and I can be confident we have a Father in heaven who not only loves us, but he delights in answering our prayers. Right? That that when we pray according to his will and according to his word, then he says, You know what? I'm going to come through. Why? Because we're sons and daughters of the living God. We're not under the table begging and pleading. We have a seat at the table. All we do is have to say, Father, can I? Father, will you? And he says, Yes. Why? If it's in his word, you can guarantee there's a yes. Amen. The third area I want to talk about is this. And this is probably my favorite thing I want to talk to you about today. It's the limit of our prayer. The limit of our prayer. Listen, I'm not sure why, but for whatever reason, it appears like it's human nature to put limits on God. like Especially when it comes to the area of prayer. Is that true? Listen, I'm not sure if it's because if we doubt His love, if we doubt His power, if we doubt His wisdom on what you and I maybe think what's best for our life. Maybe it's because we lack faith. Maybe it's because we feel insecure, unworthy, or whatever it is. Like I said, I'm not sure why, but I do know this, that if we're being honest with ourselves, we have a tendency Maybe not with our mouths, because what is everyone going to think if we say, I don't believe that, right? But certainly when we go pray, because you've been there, I've been there, when we prayed and there was about as much faith as nothing for what we prayed for, right? But, but for some reason, guess what, when we go and pray, we have the tendency to limit or to put limits on the unlimited, all-powerful, all-sufficient God. True, right? And sure, we, we say we believe, but here's really where I want to get down to, is, is but do we really believe what's impossible becomes possible when we pray not when the fellow that lives you know whatever across the world and, and got all these books and all this TV program and all this and got all these testimonies no 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 do we believe that what's impossible becomes possible when we when you and I pray that's what we're getting at listen to this i want to i want to take a moment and just remind some few of god's promises did he not say this did he not say if we ask we will receive did he not say if we seek we would find, if we knock the door would be open. Did he not say what we bind on earth would be bound in heaven. Did he not say what we loose on earth would be loosed in heaven. Did he not say that his ears are open to the prayers of the righteous. Did he not say that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. Yes he did. Those are sure promises that you and I can bank on. Now listen as amazing as those are. I got to show you one more today. And it's a goodie. Okay. And it's so good, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dare to say this, probably the greatest promise in the Word of God that when it comes to prayer, beyond Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, I would say this is probably the greatest one. I'm going to give it to you in six verses. I'm going to read them quick. And I'm just going to simply ask that you would notice the pattern. The first five are Jesus talking. The last one is, is the Apostle John talking. Let's read it together. Matthew 21. Here we go. He said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, if you have faith, personal trust, and confidence in me, and do not doubt whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. John 14. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything or ask for anything in my name and I will do it. John 15 verse 7 and 8 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. John 15 verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. John 16 says, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. 1 John chapter 3 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Man, we should be shouting. What's the pattern? Six times, five Jesus. One, the apostle John tells us that whatever we ask in prayer that it will be done. Now, obviously, the balance of that is it has to be according to his word. Like, let's not miss that, okay? So, so but I, I just, one thing, let me just say this. The reason I wanted to read all of those to you, because you're like, oh, it says the same thing, it says the same thing, because I want you to understand how much he stressed it. It's not some one verse we're kind of pulling and making it something. No, it's something that he repeated again and again and again. Why did he repeat things again and again and again? Because sometimes you and I don't get it the first time. Right? Let's be honest. We've been struggling to get it the sixth time. Right? And, and so, listen, I just think when, when you read those words, like we have to stop and go, you know what, could those words be any clearer than they really are? Right? Like, like, but let me say this, could any promise be grander than that? Whatever you, what, I got a big imagination. Right? I, I just, I don't think there's a greater promise. I, I see, man, that's amazing. Yeah, I hope you feel the same. So but but let's do this though. How often have we read these verses and skimmed right over that promise? Whatever whatever yes. Whatever. Okay, let's keep moving. Right? Like like whatever, right? So so literally like we skim over it. We don't give that much thought or that much consideration of what that can mean for our personal prayer lives. Like never contemplating how much of an impact that it could have on our lives if we would simply take Jesus at his word. I'm going to tell you why we skim over it. It's because of this, because we have to either, in that moment, choose to breeze over verses like that or be forced to confront our doubt and unbelief, right? And I don't know about you, but it's a whole lot easier to skim on by it. It's a whole lot less painful, a whole lot less gut-wrenching, right, to, to just breeze by it than to actually have the Holy Ghost to come and evaluate why you don't believe, so I'll just say this, I think it would behoove us to realize that when Jesus said we could ask whatever we desire, once again, according to his word, that he was, he was intentionally removing any and all limits that you and I would ever put on prayer. Amen. Elbow your neighbor and say, that's good. Listen, on that note, one of my favorite quotes concerning prayer is this, it comes from a guy named Mark Batterson. He said, he said that God honors bold prayers and bold prayers honor God. Man, I just got to ask you today, does your prayer life honor God? Listen, if it is true that prayer can do anything that God can do, let that sink in. If it's true that prayer can do anything God can do, and God is all-powerful, then you and I must conclude that prayer is absolutely limitless. Right? We are the one that limits him. He doesn't limit himself. Okay? So, listen, I'm just going to say this to you today. If you and I decide to be convinced that that's true, then why don't we pray more? Right? And why don't we pray bigger prayers? Like, if that's true, then let's go for broke. Right? Like, like, listen, I don't know about you, but we can read this thing and pray over this thing, and it can be like, eh. Or it can be, no, God, you said whatever and have faith that God has given us authority, right, through Jesus, and actually pray and believe that God's going to do something. Amen? There's a lot more I can say to you about that, but I don't have time. Here we go. Number four. The last area I want to look at is this. Is I want to talk about the reach, the reach of prayer. The reach of prayer. I personally think, it's my opinion, that one of the greatest tragedies when it comes to the prayers of God's people is that we tend to focus on ourselves and our needs most of the time. We pray for us. And we forget about everybody else. They're on their own. Right? And and so, listen, but by by doing this, I think we miss out on one of the greatest privileges when it comes to prayer. And that is the opportunity to intercede, the opportunity to stand in the gap on the behalf of another. In fact, I'll say it to you like this, okay? I've been walking with Jesus for a while now, and, and every time, think about, I think where I'm at 25 years walking with the Lord, and every time that I have stopped and I have said, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want to pray about today? I can tell you 25 years of praying that prayer and going, Holy Spirit, what do you want to pray and waiting? I don't think there's been a single time where he's brought up something that I need. Like, even this morning, like, I, I decided, okay, I'm going to, because I typically go outside and pray, and, I, and so I threw on some gear, and I decided real quick, on our little hill, it was way too cold, I went to the garage. <laughs> I did a loop, and I said, scratch that, right? So, I went in the garage, and I was praying, and, and I, and you've been there, I started praying, and I was like fumbling all over myself. I was like getting no traction. And I finally, after about a minute of that, because I'm getting smarter, no need to do that for 20 minutes and then try to reel in, for a minute, I just finally stopped and went, okay, <sighs> take a deep breath, Holy Spirit, where do you, what do you want to pray about today? What's on your heart? And immediately, I saw someone's face and someone's name, okay, got done with that one, here's another one, got done with that one, here's another one. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about even this morning, right? Like, do that, that, like, like you understand that God goes, God goes, I have a burden. Will you come up underneath that burden with me and help me carry it? Do you understand that the way God has set it up, I don't get it, that he actually needs us to pray. We can talk about that later. Somebody's faces, I love it. Maybe I'll preach that later, but it's biblical. He gave Adam the authority. All right, so here's the deal. If you and I realize or not... Uh, That is largely what this time of fasting and prayer is about. It's really about a lot of other folks and not us. Right? It's about us standing in between God and someone else. Right? Like, Like, really... Family, other people's identity, the church, Easter, right? Other people experiencing God, finding freedom, discovering their purpose, making a difference. It's about all these other people. It's about us standing in the gap and believing that when we pray, guess what? That it gives God an opportunity to move, an opportunity to work, an opportunity to reach into those people, into those situations. Amen. So listen, probably my favorite picture of intercession is found in Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. I'm gonna give you probably this is without a doubt my favorite story in the book of Numbers. Okay. And once again, it's a perfect picture of intercession. I've shared it before, but it's so good we'll share it again. It says this, starting in verse forty one. It says, but the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the Lord's people. Let me pause there for a second. If you've never read this, let me give you context. Just the day before what we were reading right here, there was this guy named Korah. Korah wasn't that smart. Korah and a few of his buddies decided to come uh, in opposition to Moses, right? Because they were jealous that he didn't have authority, that Moses was somebody greater, and he was mad about it, right? And so he decided to have, if you will, a spiritual duel with Moses. That's foolish, Right? And I don't think that dude ever split the Red Sea. I'm just saying. All right. So so what happened is in the middle of this duel, God said, enough is enough. And the ground opened up and it swallowed Korah and it swallowed his family and the other 250 knuckleheads that decided to be on his side. And it closed back, they were all dead. Now, watch this. That happened on Tuesday. Here we are on Wednesday, if you will, and it says, but the very next day. You just saw the ground open up and swallow people. Are you? Like, what's wrong with you, right? And so, but the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering, all of them, right? Against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the Lord's people. In verse 42, it says, as the community gathered to protest against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle and saw the cloud had covered it. That's when you need to say, "Uh uh-oh, and go back home. It says, and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. It says, Moses and Aaron came and stood in front of the tabernacle. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, get away from all these people so that I can instantly destroy them. <laughs> let, let, me, let me put that in today's, today's term. God wasn't playing, y'all, right? It says, but Moses, and this is why Moses could be Moses. Because he didn't say, yeah, God, that's an amazing idea, get them. It says, but Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. And Moses said to Aaron, quick. I got to pause right there. Because I I have to tell you, every time I read this portion of scripture, I laugh at that word. And the reason I laugh at that word is because when you do your homework, you find out that Aaron was over 100 years old. (laughs) I I just have to, right? So it's like I've never seen a 100-year-old man do anything quick right just so, so but it says this quick take an incense burner and place burning coals on it from the altar because he was the priest right Lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them and make them right with the lord the lord's anger is blatant against them and the plague has already begun so if you can get a picture we know this is like literally several millions of people right and so if you can imagine they're all griping and complaining and, and God says, enough's enough. And in the back, like dominoes, dude, row one, row two, row three. They start dying, y'all, right? And, and so what happens is, is they start dropping. And, and, and here's Aaron, quick. <laughs> Get it, boy, go, right? Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus help me. That's my mind when I read the Bible. That's like stuff I see. Anyway, so, so it says, it says, and Aaron did as Moses told him and ran. Go, boy, ran out among the people. The plague had already begun to strike down the people, but Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. And then it says this amazing verse. Whole reason I'm reading it, verse 48. It says that he stood between the dead and the living. So get the picture. People are dying. Aaron's running. Right? And and basically I'm probably making too much light of that. But anyways, but it's like where, where the death do 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 and where the death hits him, the plague hits him, it stops. And literally everybody in front of him is dead, everybody behind him is alive. How do you know that guy that was on that next row was probably pretty grateful. Run, dude. Right? Anyways. So it says this, it says and the plague stop. Verse 49. But 14,700 people died in the plague. Why? Because Aaron wasn't that fast. It says, in addition to those, it says, who had died in the affair involving Korah. It says, then because the plague had stopped, Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tabernacle. Amen. It's an incredible illustration of what happens when we stand in the gap. Listen, it's also a wonderful reminder. Y'all please hear me. I I don't, if you are a Christian, I don't care. How you have viewed yourself from this moment forward or behind this moment. Like forward, understand something. This scripture proves how much one man or how much one woman can make a difference when they intercede on the behalf of another. So don't ever doubt that when you get with Jesus and you begin to pray that something's not changing. Amen? So, listen, with this in mind, I believe God wants us to see that when we intercede, right, we intercede, that we, when we truly stand, right, we intercede, we truly stand between the dead and the living. That we stand between darkness and the light, between chaos and order, that we stand between the problem and the solution, that we stand in between hopelessness and the eternal hope, that we stand between a crisis and the miracle, between sickness and healing, right? Between poverty and blessing, that we stand between the impossible and the possible, that we stand between evil and all that is good, right? That we stand between the plan of the enemy and the will of our God, that we stand ultimately between what? The unsaved and the saved. Listen, I don't know about you, but I wholeheartedly believe, according to Hebrews chapter 7, that's the moment that you and the moment that I begin to earnestly intercede, right, for God's divine intervention in another person's life, that Jesus himself comes alongside of us and joins us in our intercession. And I also believe that in that moment, he begins to, once again, to begin to reach into the situation, right, that we are praying for, and he begins to move according to his will. I believe it wholeheartedly. I've seen it happen too many times. So let me just ask, what is the reach of our prayers? Our prayers, guys, extend as far as the arm God can reach, as far as the arm of God can reach. Great place to say amen. So with that being said, let's begin to intercede for this region. Like, if I can lay some personal responsibility on your doorstep at this moment, uh, let's just ask for a reason, man. If, if, if we don't begin to intercede, who will? I'm going to say something I probably shouldn't say. But, but listen, there's churches in this area that don't believe this. And they're not. So we cannot assume that everybody that just says they're a Christian is doing this, because they are, Okay. And I just think this, man, once again, if we don't do it as a church and as individuals, who else will? And then we have to ask ourselves, listen, if you were born and raised here or if you're like me and you were, you were brought here by God and planted here, at the end of the day, did God not assign us here? So it's our responsibility. So we would be foolish to sit back and try to wait for somebody else to come stand in the gap for us. God put us here to do a job. Amen? Amen. So our responsibility to pray. So let's recap real quick and we'll be done. What is the secret of prayer? It's that you and I just pray. As we pray. I promise you, you go spend hours with Jesus, you'll learn the how. Promise you, because I've, I've done it, right? Next thing, what's the basis of our confidence in prayer? It's the fact that you and I are unconditionally loved by our Heavenly Father, right? That always stands upon His Word. What's the limit of our prayers? They are unlimited because God's power is without limits. Before, what is The reach of our prayers, once again, the the reach of our prayer goes as far as God's arm can reach, which means that they can go anywhere because he is everywhere. In fact, I'll just say this. I I didn't have time to share this last service. I'll give it to you really brief. There was a man named John G. Late. This just keeps coming to me. There was a man named John G. Late that they would have basically prayer meetings. And he lived in South Africa. He was an American, but he lived in South Africa and, and there was an evening where they were praying. Somebody brought in a prayer request. Uh, that was somebody, I cannot remember where it was, like uh, like Minneapolis, Minnesota, or something like that. It was, anyways, it was back in the States. And, and, the, and this person needed a, a miracle from God. They needed healing. It was a young man that was dying. He was like in his late 20s. And, and John G. Lake knelt at the altar and he began to pray for this prayer request. And I won't go into all the details because it would probably freak you out. But, but anyways, but he he began to pray. And long story short, uh, they received a letter two weeks later, because once again, it back in the day, uh, you know, a letter came and said basically that gave the date when the power of God showed up and hit that young man and God totally healed him. It just so happened to be the very moment that John G. Lake was standing at the altar praying. Listen, God's reach is, he can go anywhere. Right? Listen, I I may live in Maine and my folks may live in Alabama, but I promise you when I go pray, I know that the hand of God reaches into their home. Amen. So listen in closing, I I just I want to admit to you, I realize today that no words of mine can somehow impress, impress, or convince anyone of the power or the necessity of prayer. But man, I sure do hope that you and I will begin to see prayer, not some religious ritual, some religious box, not some religious duty. Instead, we begin to see prayer as a privilege. And we begin to see prayer as a pleasure and a pure joy. We get to go fellowship with Jesus. And secondly, that we go, wow, that God has chosen me. He's chosen to partner with me to unfold his plan Not just in my life, but in my family's life, right? In our church's life, in this region, right? And God's chosen me to be a part of all of that. Why wouldn't we join in? Amen? Amen. Let me read one verse to you. Psalm 27 says this. It's David talking. He said, my heart has heard you, God, say, come and talk with me. He heard God say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Man, let that be our heart's cry today, that we would hear the Lord say, come, and we say, Lord, I'm coming. Amen? Amen. Real quick, raise your hand if you've ever seen the, the uh, show The Chosen. If you've never seen The Chosen, go download it, watch it, let Jesus change your life, because it's powerful. And, uh, but there's a, it's basically about Jesus, and it's about the disciples, and it's not hokey Christian stuff. It's actually like, it's anointed. It's really good. I tend to not like that hokey stuff. And so, um, anyways, I, last night I took a break. Or maybe it was the day before. It was the day before. And, uh, and I was like, okay, I'm going to watch an episode real quick. I've seen it before. Uh, but, but there's this scene, basically, that, that's Philip. Philip shows up, and uh, he wasn't a disciple yet. And, uh, and he's basically sitting there by a fire. And he's waiting for Jesus to come back from where Jesus has been. And so he's just, like all amped up. He's heard loads about Jesus from John the Baptist because that's who, he, he was John the Baptist's disciple first. You can see that in John chapter one. And, and anyway, so Jesus comes walking up and he stands up and he's all excited to meet Jesus. And, and he's, he basically, they kind of exchange pleasantries. And then he simply says this. He says, uh, uh, I, have, I have a message for you. And, uh, and Jesus says, I have a message for you. And he goes, uh, it, it's, a sh- it's a short one. And Jesus goes, mine's short too. And he goes, mine's only two words. Mine's only two as well. And Jesus simply said this. He, he started saying, follow follow me. He said, fa, and, and Philip said, I will. <laughs> that was one's message. That was the other one's. And here's my prayer, is that, is that whoever comes next week, that as dorky as that may sound to some of y'all, that there would be an I will immediately in people's heart, that there be no wrestling, there be no fighting, that God would already prepare the heart in such a way that there's, I will immediately, Jesus, I'm yours. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.